caution, warning, danger. If you know this particular sequence, you know that it's one that is often attached to different stickers that we can find all over different sorts of things that we use every day. That whether it's our motor vehicles, whether it's different machinery, tractors, even just different appliances and machines, that we can find an array of these different stickers that are cautioning us against something, warning us against something else, or even telling us about a very real and present danger. And these aren't just things that are inconsequential, but usually they are very serious consequences. They're often they can warn of impending injury if one doesn't use that thing correctly, or maybe some sort of breakage, or in fact, maybe even something much worse. That there's something that they aren't to be taken lightly, but they're rather to garner our attention and to get us to be attentive to what we're doing. And we may not think about the Bible in similar terms, and yet there is this reality that the Bible is filled with different cautions, with different warnings, and even moments of danger. And it's not that the Bible isn't telling us this in the midst of different comforts and different things that it's been trying to encourage us on, but it's trying to get us to see the reality of spiritual life and even those moments of pitfall, those moments of caution, those moments of warning, or even those moments of danger, where it needs us to be aware of something and to pay attention to something else. And indeed, that's where we find ourselves situated this morning, especially as we look and we see the readings in the gospel for this Sunday, because they give us a very real perspective of not just what it's like to live a spiritual life or even to live a life of faith, but what it's like to also be aware of those different things that we need to be cautious of, the way, things that we need to be warned about, and those different dangers that can even crop up in our spiritual life. And if we start off with the first reading, we hear from the prophet Amos yet again. And we heard from him last week that he was warning about those that extort the poor, or even those that cheat, lie, and steal, because they're so concerned about their profit margin. And so he was warning them this last week, but this week he switched to the complacent in Zion. In fact, that's the very first line, woe to the complacent in Zion. And he gives a different series of criteria so that we can identify who these complacent are. That he tells that these are the people that lie on beds of ivory. These are the people that continue to just seek comfort on their couches. And even whenever it comes to food, that they only eat the finest or wine or different things. And even the plight of Jacob, this is where it really shows us just how depraved they've become. That they're not just concerned about laziness or those different luxuries in life, but in fact, they can't even be bothered or woken by the ill fate of someone else. And we hear about, in particular, the fate of Joseph here. And so they're just in the spirit of apathy, that they're in this laziness that they can't really be shaken out of. And so all of a sudden, they're just simply in this place of want. And what does the prophet Amos say? Well, there's a couple things that he's really implying here and the things that really set up the backbone and the spine of what's going on. The first, he's aware of this laziness, but he's aware of the pitfall and the danger of someone who becomes spiritually lazy. That all of a sudden, they're going to find themselves in this place of struggle, in this place of want, in this place of temptation. And because of this laziness, because of this apathy, they're not going to be able to turn. They're not going to be able to seek after the Lord in that time of need. And so he's aware that this laziness has consequences and it even affects their future. But he's also aware of something of a future and historical aspect as well. That the Assyrians are knocking on the doorstep of the Israelites, and the complacent are not going to be of any help. And in fact, he tells that they're going to be the very first ones that go into exile. That they're going to be the ones that are driven out first because they're so lazy, they're so apathetic, that they just can't see where the Lord is or the ways that he's trying to help them out. 
And that's really a challenge because he also tells us that their wanton revelry will be done away with. That all of these useless things that they've occupied their time with, those things are going to be done away with because they're so useless and so impractical, especially when they fall away into nothing as they endure that exile. This is the warning of the prophet Amos, especially for the Israelites of that time and the people of Zion. We move on for just a moment to St. Paul in his first letter to Timothy, and we again heard from this last week, but we're given a different sort of exhortation this time. That we were told about the benefit of prayer and how we should continue to be committed to that last week, but this week we're being told about pursuit of virtue, how we should be living devoted pursuit to all of the different ways that we can seek God and seek the Christian life. The ways that we can love, the ways that we can be patient, the ways that we can be devoted, the ways that we can be gentle, all of these different things that really constitute what it means to live a Christian life and to live it well and to indeed flourish in that. But he also shows the way that these pave the way to eternal life, especially in the example of Jesus. Because as we follow the commands, as we follow the different laws of God, then we start to see the ways that Jesus is perfecting all of those things and lives them out super abundantly. The ways that he lived out every gospel virtue and he lived it out well and he lived it completely. And so that leads the way to eternal life, and that, in fact, is the reward that Jesus seeks to gain for himself, yes, but for each and every one of us. But we have to be willing to participate in a life of virtue first, and so that's where St. Paul is reminding Timothy to pursue that life of virtue, to seek after the command of God, and to indeed look after that example and that model that Jesus provides, so that in time he can gain eternal life. And then finally we arrive at the Gospel of Luke and we hear this very similar parable, this rich man and Lazarus. We've likely heard it and we're very familiar with it, and perhaps we've even thought about it a time or two just because it's such a difficult message, but it's good to revisit it again. And so we hear this story of these two different individuals that we hear about rich, the rich man and Lazarus, and they're both separated by only a distance of maybe a few feet or a few yards. But nonetheless, we hear the rich man that he hasn't made, that he has all sorts of different things, all sorts of material possessions, that he continues to live this life of luxury, that he dines sumptuously each day, that he's clothed with the finest linens, and that he continues to just live in this perfect harmony with at least what the world would consider a goodly standard. But then there's that man that's distanced by just a little bit, and that is Lazarus, the poor man. And we're told that he is starving, he's thirsty, that he wants for all sorts of things. And we're even told that life hasn't treated him very well, even physically, because we're told about dogs that come to lick his sores, and that in fact shows that he's lived this life that's just been hard, it's been difficult, it hasn't dealt him the best hand. But as different as these two individuals, the rich man and Lazarus, are, there's one thing that continues to separate, yes, but there's one thing that also brings them together, and it's one thing that they hold in common, death. The death comes for Lazarus first, and we hear that he's taken up to the bosom of Abraham, that he's taken up to that place where he can sit at Abraham's side and enjoy the comforts that he's never had in this life. But the rich man also dies. We're told that he's buried and he goes to the netherworld to that place of torment. And what makes it worse is he's able to look up and see Abraham and Lazarus and they're living in comfort and he wants that comfort for himself now more than ever before. And so he calls up to Father Abraham and he asks for Lazarus to be sent down to cool his tongue with just a simple drop of water. This truly gives us an idea of how bad his torment is. 
But Abraham replies that he cannot send Lazarus because there's a chasm that's been established between them and that no one could cross from one side to the other or vice versa. And so all of a sudden the rich man realizes that his time has run out, that it's run short, but he wonders about his brothers and his father's house. And so he wants someone sent there to speak to them. And so Abraham replies that he cannot, that he's got, Abraham, that he's got Moses and he's got all of the prophets that are there that are speaking to his brothers and speaking to his father's house. But this rich man knows that they're not going to listen. They're just as complacent as he was. And yet he asks for something more, someone to rise from the dead to go to speak to them so that they're kind of shocked awake. But again, Abraham tells him that if they aren't going to listen to Moses and the prophets, neither are they going to listen when someone rises from the dead. And indeed that happens, and we have this certain point of view because we can see that that person that rose from the dead is Jesus Christ himself. But we're warned that, he won't, that his brothers won't even listen to that simple message that is given from the one who has risen from the dead, Jesus Christ himself. Such is the depravity that they find themselves in. But as we consider all of these different things, we should go back and we should consider, are we living like Lazarus or are we living like the rich man? Are we living a life that is fully awake and fully aware? Or are we living one that seems to be asleep or seems to be seeking after laziness? We should go back first to the prophet Amos because he gives that beautiful reminder that we're not created for comfort in this life, that we're rather created for God. Now, to be clear, this doesn't mean that we can't have comfort through our friends and family, like those comforts that we would have that God would provide to us through others, especially around us, or even through his own word to us. That's not what we're talking about here. But rather, what we're speaking of is those earthly creature comforts, those different luxuries that we can have that get in the way of our relationship with God, or even cause us to be apathetic or even to atrophy away, to lose our spiritual rigor and our spiritual strength. And so whenever we hear that, we should be mindful of the words of Pope Benedict XVI, that we're not created for comfort, we're created for greatness. And so the reality of this life, we shouldn't be seeking after laziness or the shortest way home, but we should rather be seeking after those ways that continue to get us united to God, and indeed in those moments of struggle, continue to strengthen us towards his sacred heart, no matter what. And as we consider that, we can also put it into the greater context of that story and that parable of the rich man and of Lazarus. Because here we see those two opposing sides, that we see two different people that are no more different and yet have that one more similar thing, that have that one thing that unites them both together. And that is that element of death, that they have both have a finite amount of time to do something with that ability or that time on earth that they're given. And so that question that we should consider, are we living lives of complacency or are we living lives that are doing the best with what we have in getting closer to God? Because the rich man, the problem is that he fell away, that he let all of his material possessions and all of the things that he had get in the way of his relationship with Jesus Christ. And indeed, it even started to blind him towards the needs of his brothers and sisters. That We can often see these sort of social implications, but they're just one amongst many of the different things that have fallen to the wayside in this man because his spiritual life has started to go away. That all of a sudden, his relationship with Christ is in second place. And so what does that mean at the end of his life? He finds himself in that place of want that when time has run out, all of a sudden he finds himself not ready for the kingdom of God. And so he finds himself in that place of torment. 
And so the question, whenever we see that, are we living lives that are continuing to see the great things that God has given us, even the material goods around us, but we continue to contribute them back towards God and see the ways that they're trying to lead us back to our Heavenly Father? Because it's not just these things for themselves, but in fact, they're trying to get us closer to God, our Heavenly Father. But I also want to stop for just a moment and pick up on a smaller theme here, and especially with in due to Lazarus. Because we see Lazarus and we know that he, life hasn't dealt him a good hand. That in fact, he's been on the down and out, and he likely looked at that rich man and saw how different their lives were. But he didn't let that fill him with bitterness or jealousy or envy. Then in fact, he saw how unjust that rich man was, whether he had been unjust his entire life, or whether he had grown into that over time. And likely, he could have been very bitter and likely rightly so because of what that rich man did but he didn't want to become like that rich man he didn't want to become spiritually complacent but instead kept his eyes towards heaven that even when things were wrong even when injustices were dealt with to him that he didn't keep an eye on those things but he rather looked towards heaven towards that place of eternal comfort and reward because he knew his time on earth was short but the time in eternity is forever but then we consider all of those things and we wonder, how should we be more like Lazarus? What are the different things that we should pursue to continue to be like him and indeed inherit eternal life? And St. Paul readily gives us that answer in his letter to Timothy. That he tells us to pursue all virtue, to keep God's commands, and indeed seek after the relationship, that example, and that model that Jesus Christ gives us. Are we truly putting that in first place? Because we too know that our time on life and on, in this life on earth is short. That we only have a limited time to make available and to make good of what we've been given. But we shouldn't let that fill us with fear and anxiety. We should see that for that caution, that warning, or that danger sign that it is. That we know that we have that limited time, yes. But because of that, we're not going to let things get in the way of our relationship with God. But instead, we're going to continue to enhance our spiritual life and seek out the ways that we can grow in faith day in and day out, moment to moment and hour to hour. That we're not going to stop with these things that are short and even just fall away at the end of our life, but rather, like Lazarus, we're going to seek after those things that eternally endure and bring us closer to God our Heavenly Father. Whether it's pursuing our own virtue or even seeking the ways that we can help our brothers and sisters that are most in need. And that is the reality that we continue to encounter today, my brothers and sisters. That the Bible does give us a lot of encouragement. It gives us a lot of moments to give us that fuel to go along. But it also wants to caution us. It wants to warn us. And it wants to give us those different danger signs that we need to be aware of. So that at the end of our life, we can continue to be awake and aware of the ways that God is calling us closer. That he's calling us in that, that deeper relationship of faith. And indeed, he's calling us to eternal life. If we but follow him with our cross and we follow him, and with everything that we have, and we get distracted by nothing else. So my brothers and sisters, let's continue to consider that relationship in that parable of the rich man and Lazarus, seeing that time is limited, that we have a certain amount of time to continue to seek after God. And indeed we should, but we need to continue to be those people that are renouncing those things of this world and seeking after the things of God, so that whenever it comes to those cautions, those warnings, and even those dangers of life, that we can continue to renounce those things and put them to the side and seek after what truly matters, our relationship with God and our life of faith.